All right, guys, I'm just sitting here chilling. We're chatting and having a good conversation like, oh, am I supposed to be up right now? Yes. Well, gentlemen, I want to take some time this morning and talk with you about something that's dear to my heart, and that's this thing of worldliness. But before we talk about worldliness and detail, I kind of want to kind of help works. If I could put together a formula. I want you to write this down somewhere if you can, because worldliness is tied to something deeper. And worldliness only happens because of something happening in your soul. Okay. And so I want to give you the, the, the three words, and we're going to break these words down. Uh, flesh, the world, the devil, the flesh, the world, the devil. I purposely put it in. There's a, a meaning to that order that I don't want you to miss. Okay. And if we can build on that, then I want to talk about the world from this. When you think about the flesh, think of Romans seven, um, the whole chapter. When you think about the flesh, think about Galatians chapter five, verse 16 to 17. Uh, when you think about the flesh, think about Romans eight and the battle that we see there. And when we talk about the flesh, we're not talking about your physical body. We're talking about indwelling sin. And indwelling sin, again, is another synonym flesh, indwelling sin, they're the same. But what happens with this indwelling sin? There is this war going on in your mind. Some people thought it was the devil speaking to them, but it's not the devil, it's your flesh. Your flesh wages war against your mind. And what happens is that it is constantly, constantly driving you to satisfy desires of your soul in the wrong way. That's what indwelling sin does. It's always leading you to satisfy the desires of your soul in the wrong way. So if you could put with the flesh, put these words under the flesh. Seduction. Seduction. You are constantly at war, gentlemen. Your flesh is always trying to get you to take desires, some desires that are not sinful, that are just neutral, some desires that are natural, and some desires that are naughty. Okay, so you got three categories. You got the neutral, the natural, the naughty. It's just that simple. The natural desires, the desire to eat, the desire to sleep, the desire for sex. Those are natural desires you've been given by God. The flesh wants to pervert that, to make you overeat, to oversleep, to seek to satisfy sexual desires outside of God's will. That's what indwelling sin does, the flesh. Neutral desires, that's the desire to build, the desire to have things, the desire to create, you name it. Just anything along those lines. Maybe you want a you know, high-paying job. Maybe you want to build a career. Maybe you want a business. Maybe you want to go fishing. It, it, those are just normal, what you call neutral desires. But the flesh seeks to pervert that in you. The flesh seeks to get you to lie on your resume to get a position that you really shouldn't have. The, the flesh causes you to focus more on making money than making disciples. That, that, those are the things that happens. And then you have what we call the naughty desires. That's the lust of the eyes. I can have anything that I see. Lust of the flesh. I can do whatever I want. Pride of life. I can be whatever I want. Okay. So what happens is this indwelling sin seeks to seduce these things in your heart, and it's constantly waging war, okay? Flesh. Now, I use the word the world on purpose, and we're going to get into the detail about the world, but what I want to do 
is to kind of help you think about the world this way. The world is this system, and we're going to get the details, but put this under the word world, suggestion or suggestions. So what you have is you have indwelling sin that is seducing you. You have the world that brings suggestions. Now, I've been traveling this country for the last six months, and I cannot get this out of my head. Everywhere I go, I hear this commercial. BK, have it your way, you roll. Everywhere I go, I keep hearing that commercial. Every time I said, honey, it's on again. I, I'm in California, I'm in Ohio, I'm everywhere, and it's BK, and it's just in my mind. But that's how the world works. It's always bringing suggestions to counter Christ. Does that make sense? And so it works because who doesn't want to rule? Who doesn't want to have it their way? I mean, I like it, but I shouldn't like it as much as I like it, right? So the world, if you have the one, it, it just always suggests ways that you can satisfy these desires of your heart that are inordinate, sometimes normal, sometimes natural, okay? And then the third word there, the devil. And we know the devil, we understand how he operates. So I want you to put this one word under that devil, set up, set up. Because the culture, the worldly system is under the authority of the devil. He has the power to set up situations. And in setting up those situations, you've got the culture that's breaking the suggestions while you're being seduced in your soul. This is how this thing works, the flesh, the world, the devil. And if we don't pay attention to that, we think the big picture, we're going to talk about the world. We think being worldly is the big picture, but being worldly is the byproduct of the fact that I'm being seduced always in my soul to take natural desires and pervert them, to take neutral desires and pervert them, to satisfy the naughty desires, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Does that make sense, gentlemen? So I wanted to go there first, because as we talk about worldliness, the power of worldliness is tied to the seduction that's happening in your soul. And the power of worldliness is connected to the setup of the devil who's constantly creating opportunities for you to compromise your values. That's why that song, BK, it's always in my mind. But why? Because who doesn't want to rule? Who doesn't want to have it their way? That's how this system works. But remember, needy, greedy, we talked about last night, your desires and your soul, if you don't keep it under control, you will find yourself as worldly as the next guy. Why? Not because you lack power, but because you like what's being sold. Simple reality. Anyone in this room, including me, can be easily manipulated, not because we're not smart, not because we don't know the Bible, not because we don't commit ourselves to a local church, but we can be easily manipulated because we like what we hear. We like what we see. We enjoy the opportunity to do certain things because our flesh says nobody will ever see. No one will ever know. I'm here to tell you that's a lie. 
And if we don't get a hold of understanding this worldliness that I'm going to talk about, along with understanding that worldliness is tied to the seduction of your soul, you're going to try to fight worldliness, but not deal with your heart at the same time. And gentlemen, if I could say this to you practically, everyone in this room, including me, we all have a price. Okay, we all have a price. And what do I mean by that? There is a level in all of us that we've said this and we've done this. I will obey God until blank. I will obey God if or when. But then apart from that, I will do something different. Everyone in this room has a price. That's why sin is so rampant. Sin exposes your price. It exposes my price. If we understand what our price is, instead of denying it, we can begin to do work on it. And part of what I try to do, I have some friends in my life. They know my price. And I tell them, this is how I will destroy my marriage. This is how I will destroy my ministry. This is how my life will be destroyed. This gentleman is my price. Now, they're the only ones that know my price. But what happens is because of that, they keep me accountable. And they make sure that whether I'm traveling, whether I'm at home, whatever's going on, they have my price. My wife keeps me accountable in that there are certain channels on the television at certain levels that in order for me to turn to those channels, if it's over a PG rating, my wife has to give me the code. Now, what if I wake up at one o'clock at night and there's a movie I want to see and it needs the code? You think that's going to happen? Am I making sense to you? What am I doing? I'm making it hard for me to sin according to my price. I'm trying to build walls that are so high I can't get over there. It's so low I can't get under. It's so wide I can't get around. But what that means is I have to invite people in the body of Christ to be so connected to me that my vulnerabilities, those areas of my own heart, while I'm willing to send to get what I want and send when I don't get what I want, I've got people that are helping me. Now, they can only help me to the level I want to be helped. Accountability doesn't work if you don't want to be accountable. Does that make sense? But when you want to be accountable and you know that you have these vulnerabilities, this is what we're talking about. But in order to do this, in order to go there, we have to first understand how it works, which is why we talked about the flesh, the world, the devil, the flesh indwelling sin, seduction of your mind, the world suggestions, Satan set setups, if you will. And the moment you understand that where your price is, where you're angry, where you're worried, okay, where you find yourself compromising, where you find yourself making excuses versus making confessions, that's your price. That is where God is trying to get your attention because that is where you are going to hurt yourself. Now, with all that being said, that brings us to this understanding of worldliness. But here's what I like to do. Since it's just us for a minute, I love to do this from time to time. Let's take a two-minute commercial break. I've said a whole lot in a little bit of time. So I want you to turn to the person next to you, and in this two minutes, identify the flesh, the world, the devil with those simple things, and talk about how you could put that in your own words, okay? Here's what he said about the flesh, the world, the devil. Here's my way of articulating that. Here's how I see what he said. Take about two minutes. We'll come back. We're going to build on that by talking about worldliness, okay? Two minutes. Turn to the person next to you. There.
All right, guys, back to our regularly scheduled program. If you can keep these simple pictures in your mind, this is why you sin in those areas that are so difficult. Uh, again, seduction, your flesh is waging war. Suggestions, the world is always giving you suggestions of how you can compromise. And you have Satan who's over this world system. He's always setting up opportunities. Now remember, it only works because you like what he's selling. It's not that you don't know better. It's not that you don't have the power. You like it. And because you like it, you've been compromising. And the moment you can say to yourself, let me be honest, stop making excuses and start making confessions and bring some accountability, you will see a process of change. But you've got to understand how this works. Won't you turn your Bibles for just a moment to 1 John chapter 2. And John tells us something in verses 15 to 16. I quoted it, but I want to go back to it. Then I want to really break down what this world system is. But here is John telling us something. And remember, the book of John leads us to salvation. The book of 1 John affirms that we have this salvation. He says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, I can have whatever I want. And the desires of the eyes, I can have whatever I see. And I love this, the boastful pride of life, I can be whatever I want, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This worldly system is dying. This worldly system is corrupt. And the more you are involved in it, the more you are showing how much you lack love for God and how much you lack love for others. What is this worldly system? Uh, let me walk you through. Here's the key point. Worldliness is not normal human behavior that interacts with God's world and his creatures, such as going to work or playing with some animal. Worldliness is when thoughts, motives, desires, communication patterns, behavior, lifestyle, relationship patterns, serving of others, or entertainment one partakes is, again, in distraction from God's will and standards or promotes or displays rebellion against God's will and standards. One's thoughts, one's desires, one's activities and relationships are keeping him from knowing God and making God known. That is what worldliness is. When I do premarital counseling, I get couples in there and I say to them, since you have been around each other, are you becoming more like Satan or more like the son of God? Give me examples. Because sometimes there are people you're around, you become more like Satan than the son of God. And it's because their corrupt agendas, their corrupt ideologies, their ideas of how things should operate. And because you like hanging around them, they're entertaining or they're exciting and they have an interest to you. And as a result, you find yourself compromising your values because of being around them. 
But then there are other people you find yourself around. The more you like them, you find yourself thinking more about the things of God, thinking more about the reality of Christ, thinking more about how to live out this life. And what I want to know when people are interested in connecting, well, since you're around this person, what are you more like? You're more like Satan, more like the Son of God. Give me examples. Show me. What is it like? The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. What is that bad company? It is consumed with the wisdom and ways of this culture. So when we think about worldliness, guys, here are 10 things I want you to think about with worldliness. Number one, it is a mind being conformed to the ways of the world system. BK, have it your way, you rule. Life at your level, on your lifestyle, your control is a lie from the pit of hell. Number two, accepting and gravitating to the ideas, the insights and agendas of the world system to the contradiction of the ideas, insights, and the agenda of God. Number three, demonstrating hostility towards God and inner disposition of opposition or resistance or thought or principle in relation to God and his commands. Let me tell you, when you are there, you are hostile towards God when someone calls you out on something that you know is wrong. And instead of you making confessions, you make excuses and you get defensive. When you're irritated because someone had the nerve or the audacity to tell you, here's what the truth is and here's where you fall short. And you find yourself in your spirit just irritated and upset. That's when you know you're hostile towards God. If no one can tell you the truth without it becoming a war, then you're hostile. You're walking in worldliness. Here's a dumb question. Can people tell you the truth and you accept it? Or does it become a time of debate? Are you open to other people's insights to your life? Or are you only open to giving other people insights? That alone exposes how much of your life is built on worldliness. Here's the fourth thing I want you to think about. Living according to the lust of the eyes. I can have what I see, the lust of the flesh. I can do what I want in the pride of life. I can be whatever I want on a regular basis. Is your world mainly revolved around you, what you want, what you see, what you feel? The more that is you, you're walking in worldliness, being dominated, if you will, by jealousy and selfish ambition. You see other people and think, why are they in that position? I'm better than them. I should have what they have. I've worked harder than I went to a better school. Hey, I went to a better school. You know, I've had people tell me, and it's so funny. I've written certain things, and there were people in my class in seminary who were smarter than me, and they would look at the stuff I've written and go, I mean, that's okay. <laughs> you know, I could have done it. It's, it's what you're, and they mean to be demeaning. It, it's simple. You know what I say? Yeah, but I wrote it. You didn't. See, the reality is you were critiquing me versus doing the work that I did. You were smarter, but you didn't do anything with your intelligence. But just compare yourself to other people. It's never about how much you know, it's how much you live. Does that make sense? It's never about comparing to other people, it's about running the race that God gave you. And when I find people doing that, it's amazing to me how they know so much, but they're always looking at what I'm doing and not doing versus watching their own life and their own doctrine. See, the more you're comparing yourself to other people, 
the more worldliness you're having or you think you should have what someone else has. Well, there's a reason why you don't have it. And they do have it. And it has nothing to do with your abilities. Does that make sense? I, I used to struggle with that. I, you know, I, I have a small church. We have about 100 or so people, a little bit less. And I'd be invited to my friend's churches with 400 and 1,000 members. And I'd sit there and I'm thinking, well, what does this guy have that I don't have? And before I know it, I'm, I'm downgrading my friend because I'm looking at what he has compared to what I have versus enjoying what God gave me. How much of your life is a comparative analysis and looking at what you deserve versus what someone else has? That's worldliness. Here's another one. Number six, not having a genuine love for people. And let me explain this. I want you to think about this. In John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, Jesus said, a new commandment that I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. Now, he said a new commandment, but if you study the Greek, it's a fresh dimension on an old perspective. The Jews understood what it meant to love God and love others, but what he was articulating was, I want you to love in this new way. I want you to love as I've loved you. And the reality is when Jesus loved, he didn't love according to who people were. He loved according to who he was. So what that meant was there was nothing they could do or not do that would keep him from walking in love towards them. Now, real love for other people has nothing to do with them and has everything to do with you. You say, well, how do you say that? Well, it's a reflection of your character, not a reflection of theirs. Because the fruit of the spirit is what's the first part? Love. Here's a stupid question. Does anyone deserve to be loved? No one deserves to be loved, right? So what excuses do we ever have when we're not loving towards anybody? And any excuse we give is unacceptable. Let me tell you, I, I grew up, my mother had this statement in our house, and it's hard living under this rule. She would say, son, every excuse is a great excuse but no excuse is acceptable. Now try living under that. But in reality, isn't that what God is telling us? Every excuse is a great excuse, but no excuse is acceptable. Instead of making excuses, we need to make confessions. And the more confessions we make, the more God cleanses and forgives, and we get up and we grow forward, not just go forward. So the real question is, how is your love for people? Is it based upon what they do or don't do? That's not real love. That's the sinner's kind of love. Is it that you appreciate people? I tell people there's a difference between loving someone and appreciating someone. When someone does something nice for you and you enjoy what they did, you say, oh, I love you. That's not love. Oh, I appreciate you is the real answer or the real way. Loving people says, I have made a decision by the world. I'm going to do what is right to God's glory for you, whether you like it or not, or whether you like me or not, because I have the power to do so. How is your love? Worldliness lacks a genuine love for people. Number seven, setting your mind on man's interest above God's interest, resulting in being a stumbling block to others, pursuing God's interests. How much of your time is spent with people deterring from that which is meant to be the focus. Number eight, fighting to have your way with others and praying for God to bless your desires that distract you from his will. 
This demonstrates pride, which is characterized as being friendly with the world. See if I can put it to you this way. Anybody know what a PYT is? You guys not old enough to know what a PYT is? What's a PYT? Pretty young thing. All right. So you do know what a PYT is, right? Now, my wife, I would say, is a OYT. She's an older thing, but pretty. OPT, I'm going to put it that way, right? Now, let's say my wife's somewhere. I go and I see a PYT. And I start talking to the PYT, and I'm like, man, I'm feeling you. You're feeling me. I'm like, yeah, you know. So then I bring the PYT, and I bring her back to the house and say, honey, I got an idea. I really like this woman. And I want her to come be with us, and I just think we can work, but I need your blessing. How many of you think that's going to work? <laughs> None of you thinks that's going to work, right? Because you know well that that would not work, right? That's how God feels when we take the desires of this culture that we worship, grab that desire by the hand, fall on our knees and say, Lord, please, let me have blank. Let me have blank. God is saying, are you kidding me? You're already in sin without it. Why would I bless you with it? Worldliness is wanting what you want so bad that you're even willing to get on your knees and pray for God to provide it, even though you know you're in sin over it in the moment. How many things in your life, when you think about it, you want so bad that you're willing to sin again? Number nine, making your preferences a priority for others to consider above love for others. This results in your good thing being spoken of as evil. Let, let me explain that a little bit. A preference is a way you want things done. Neither right nor wrong, pretty much neutral. A precept is how God wants things done. Okay? Sometimes in our own pride, we can elevate our preferences to the level of a precept. And sometimes we can hold people hostage by the way we want things done above the way God has commanded things to be done. Uh, let me give an example of a difference between a precept and a preference. The Bible says to study, to show thyself approved, a workman need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? That is a precept. But what if I came in here and said to you, if you're not studying God's word at least three hours a day, and if you're not getting into the original languages, then you're not studying the Bible. What did I just do? I added my preference and elevated it to a precept and then judged you on how you're studying according to my standard, not God's standard. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we can elevate our way to God's way and hold people hostage. That's worldliness. I can't tell you as a shepherd how many conversations, how many counseling sessions, how much I've had to referee at the church and in people's lives because they've elevated their preferences to the level of a precept, but in their arrogance and blindness, didn't even know the difference between the two. That's worldliness. Number 10, constantly creating division among people. So think about this, guys. Health, good health, is not infectious, but disease is. Isn't that interesting? 
You can't catch good health, but you can catch a disease. I find that the most fascinating thing in my life. There's nothing I can do to catch godliness. But man, can I catch sin so quickly. Worldliness puts you in a position where if you're not careful, you think you are walking in good and you're really walking in evil. Now, before we talk about solutions and flip over, I want to take another commercial break. I want you to turn to the person next to you, look at this list, and just answer some basic questions. Question number one, does this make sense to me, what he's saying? Question number two, which one of these things do I see myself dealing with as I go through the list? Question number one, does this make sense? Question number two, which one of these things do I see myself dealing with in this list? Take about two minutes. We'll come back. and We'll talk about how do we handle this? What do we do? How do we overcome worldliness? All right, guys. Our time is running short. Thumbs up if this is making sense to you. Thumbs down if you don't get what I'm saying. All right, making sense to you. All right. I used to have a, a professor friend. Uh, he was from Mexico, and he would come in my office. And he would say, Nicolas, are you like this? Are you like this? Are you like this? I love that guy. So I'm going to ask you guys, are you like this? You like these? You like these? All right. I want us to talk about the solution, but you got to first take ownership of the problem. And, and that's why I wanted us to, to deal with this. Again, this worldliness only happens because of the seduction going on in your soul. And if you don't deal with the seduction in your soul, you will be helpless to deal with the worldliness that keeps coming up, bombarding you. Because the world is not going to stop providing suggestions to you. And the only reason you listen is because of the seduction of it. You like what's being sold. Now, how do we deal with this worldliness? I want you to turn your Bibles for just a moment to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. We're going to look at verse 14 to chapter 7, verse 1. Then we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 5. But let me read that to you for just a moment. He says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the almighty Lord. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement, from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of of God. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 21 to 22. Here's what it says. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. 
When we think about worldliness in general, we are to come out from associating with the corrupt, the anti-God system, and to cleanse ourselves from the filth of it. Everywhere that we hear, read, see, associate with, and believe, and need to be brought under the scrutiny of God's word and character to determine if we should participate in or disassociate from. In other words, we need to develop in a love that discerns and discernment that loves. We need to look at everything around us and really start to critique. Should we be connected? Is this bringing us in a closer devotion or is it leading us into developing into worldly agendas? Now, let me articulate what this does not mean because some people hear what I'm saying and they go to extremes. And what I mean by extremes is they don't understand that Jesus told us in John 17, in the world, but not of the world. And so in their minds to associate or disassociate is to go off in a corner somewhere and be a monk and never connect with people, never connect with places or the public square. And that's not what's happening, because if that were the case, God would have taken us out at the moment of salvation. This separating from worldliness, first, let me tell you what it's not. And, and, and I love J.C. Rowell. I put some things in. I want you to read with me what J.C. Rowell says, and I love this. This does not mean Christians ought to give up all worldly callings, trades, professions, and business. He did not forbid men to be soldiers, sailors, lawyers, doctors, merchants, bankers, shopkeepers, or tradesmen. This does not mean that Christians ought to decline all fellowship with unconverted people and refuse to go to their society. If that were the case, we wouldn't have evangelism, now would we? We wouldn't have missions. It doesn't mean that Christians ought to take no interest in anything except on earth, except religion, to neglect science, art, literature, and politics, to read nothing which is directly spiritual, to know nothing about what's going on among mankind and never look at a newspaper, to care nothing about the government's of one's country to be utterly indifferent to, as to people who guides his counsel and makes his laws. And this doesn't mean, that that's not what this means to come out from the world, okay? We should know about these things. We need to be informed. It does not mean that Christians ought to retire from the company of mankind and shut themselves up in solitude. True believers are always represented as mixing in the world, doing their duty in it, and glorifying God by patience, meekness, purity, and courage in the several positions and not by cowardly desertion of them. Moreover, it is foolish to suppose that we can keep the world and the devil out of our hearts by going into the holes and corners. True religion and unworldliness are best seen not in timidity forsaking the post which God has allotted to us, but in manfully standing our ground and showing the power of grace to overcome evil. Can I just make it plain? You're not going to shun evil sitting in the corner because evil is already in your seat. And I don't care what part of the world you try to go to to say, I'm just not going to deal with it. You still got to deal with you, the indwelling sin. Because the only power the world and the devil has over you is because of the unchecked desires of your soul that need to be addressed. So to go sit in the corner and to never, ever be around anybody, that doesn't deal with those impure thoughts. That doesn't deal with those impure desires. It doesn't deal with the flesh waging war against your mind. The moment you recognize those realities, understand that coming out from the world is not coming out and not connecting with people. It's being wise about how you connect to where you do not compromise godly values. 
I think our biggest example is Jesus Christ. Sinners love Jesus Christ, but we know that Jesus never compromised any of his values. We've got to figure out how we can connect with a culture without compromising our character and compromising our values. And the more we do that, we represent what it means to be in this world and not of this world. So in the last few minutes I have, let me just kind of break down what we're talking about. If we are going to overcome worldliness, it starts with number one, turning away from mindsets, belief systems, or principles that contradict the ways of God. Gentlemen, let me share this with you. Something I've learned as a young man and as I'm getting older, I won't ever call myself old, but as I'm getting older, whoever controls your mind controls your decisions. Always remember that. Whoever controls your mind controls your decisions. I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how strong you are. If you don't have a sense of who's challenging your thinking, because no thought you have is original. Everything you know and learn, you got from somebody else. So either Satan or the Son of God is your teacher. Just that simple. And if you don't know who's controlling your mind, then you won't really understand how you keep coming to those decisions. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And if what you're doing doesn't line up with what Christ says, it's because who you're listening to doesn't line up with what Christ said, which means you're not operating out of godly wisdom or satanic wisdom. The most important thing about you, gentlemen, is your belief system, your thinking. You show me a person that has their mind in check, I show you a person who's living the Christian life. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying intellectually, because everyone in this room is smart. We're not talking intellect. We're talking wisdom. Never confuse knowing truth with living truth. Okay? I can tell you, I work in several seminaries. I've met with some of the smartest minds in the world, but some of the most foolish men in the world. I, I've got a, a, a son, or a grandson. He's about 6'1", and he's mixed. He's Hispanic and black. So he's got that real curly hair and he's he's a swimmer. So he's got that that chest that that Michael Phelps. I mean, you know, he walks around. I mean, and the girls and the guys, everybody likes him or wants to be like him. And he's no dummy. This guy has got to go into computer science. I mean, he's just sharp. But here's his problem. He knows it. And he thinks that intelligence and smart alone makes him special. So I asked him a question. I said, son, what's between a smart person who is wise and a smart person who's dumb? He said, I don't know if that exists. I said, oh, son, it exists. I'm taking you outside of your own intelligence because you don't know all of what you think you know. I'm going to ask you the question again. What's the difference between a smart person who's wise and a smart person is dumb. He said, I don't know. I said, a smart person is dumb is one who has intellect but doesn't follow instructions given by God. And so guess what? They keep doing dumb stuff, but they can intelligently explain how dumb they've been. Does that make sense? I said, a smart person with wisdom has intelligence but applies that intelligence to the wisdom that God gives 
thereby helping them to grow in their character and grow in their faith. I said, now, son, I got to ask you a question. Are you a smart person that's dumb or a smart person that's wise? He already knew the answer. He was a smart person that's dumb. And we had a great conversation to bring him to a place of repentance. Because what I want him to understand is it's a beautiful thing to have intellectual insight. That's wonderful. But that will take you nowhere without wisdom. So, gentlemen, whoever controls your mind controls your decisions. Let me move quickly here. I'm sorry. We're at the end of time. Let me kind of walk through this. But that one was very important that you, you get that because whoever controls your mind controls your decisions. That makes sense, guys? Number two, turn away from and stay away from desires that are of the anti-God system promoting and practicing ungodliness. Number three, avoid conversations that do not promote God or make God known. Avoid conversations that promote ungodliness. Number four, come in. <laughs> Number four, disconnect from developing intimate relationships with people who are bad company, which are corrupting our good morals. You know who they are. Now, let me tell you guys, as old as I am, but still young, there's some friends now, and I've been a Christian for a long time, that I still can't hang around any longer. These are friends that I had before I was a Christian. And some of these friends, if I get around them, I know I'll do some dumb stuff that I used to do that I'm too old to do, but I'll find myself still trying to do it because those are my guys. Am I making sense? I have to stay away from those guys. It, 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 I have to avoid them. I, I'd like to think that I'm strong enough to I can influence them with the gospel and influence them with God's goodness. No, I'll find myself back in some places that I will not tell you doing some things I know I shouldn't be doing. So I have to stay away from them. Number five, abstain from every form of evil to be distant or far away from. Number six, seek to understand and pursue God's agenda for all aspects of life. Number seven, take our thoughts captive to obedience to God's agenda in all aspects of life while meditating on God's word in our hearts. Number eight, hold fast to what is good. Number nine, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And number 10, speak words that are truthful, words that build up others. Guys, over my years, as I've been trying to work through and overcome worldliness, these are some of the principles that I've tried to work through and I'm still working through. But the most important principle, whoever controls your mind controls your decisions. Always remember that. Intelligence means nothing if it's not connected to wisdom. I don't want you to be smart and dumb. I want you to be smart and wise. And my 17-year-old grandson is starting to understand the meaning of that as we work through some things. Because he knows he's intelligent. He just didn't realize how dumb he was. Now, I use that word lightly because here's what dumb means. Unwilling to follow the instructions of God's will. I think it's Proverbs 16.1 that says those who neglect instruction are stupid. And I love to let other people read it so I don't say it. As a matter of fact, turn there just real quick before we go. Turn to Proverbs 16.1. If someone could read that for us. As a matter of fact, you guys read it together. That way I didn't say it. You said it. 
So want to read that for us? Or on the count of three, let's all read it together. One, two, three. Go ahead. Yes, there's a old head. That's the wrong verse. <laughs> where is it? Somebody may help me with that. It's, I think it's 17 or the one where it says, he who neglects wisdom is stupid. Uh, maybe it's 19 or 18. Let me go back. That's a good verse, by the way. I'm about to come back to that. I forgot what the verse is. That's what happens when you get old, too. But I'm not old. I'm getting older. 18-2. The delight can just form period. I love it. That's not the one I'm looking for, but that's a good one. Twelve one. There you go. Go ahead. Read that one, brother. Well, it loves discipline, loves knowledge. Stupid. Can we read that? Turn to Proverbs twelve one. That's the one. Okay. On the count of three, let's all read that together. Proverbs twelve one. One, two, three. Knowledge, but he. If no one can tell you what to do, challenge you in what you're doing, what does the Bible call you? That's having intellect without wisdom. Gentlemen, thank you so much. I do want to encourage you to think about these things because worldliness only happens if you don't get a hold of your heart. You must get a hold of your heart. Amen? Thank you, gentlemen. All right, who do I turn the floor over to at this time?